Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. On this episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, Jill Robbins joins me to talk about her experience raising adopted kids and what her world is like being the oldest mom with the youngest kids. Hello and welcome to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder and this is the show all about domestic infant adoption. My wife and I have adopted three as newborns and on this show we're going to give you the inspiration and hope so you too can adopt faster with more confidence, less headaches, maybe even get a little fun and a few laughs along the way. So thank you for joining me today. Before we get started on the interview today though, I wanted to share with you four free guides that I got over at infantadoptionguide.com. If you just give me your name, email address, I promise not to send you any junk, but only really awesome, inspirational resources for infant adoption into your email box. And if you would do that, I'm going to send you four right at the bat, send you these four free guides to help you on your journey. And I'd love to just connect with you along the way. And there's a way you can join our Facebook group right there on infantadoptionguide.com as well. So I'd love to, to chat with you inside our Facebook group and have you join that way too. So I really appreciate you listening today. Jill Robbins is our guest and she is a fabulous blogger. Uh, she blogs about travel, she blogs about adoption and a bunch of other things, but she just uh, is a funny, funny mom blogging at ripjeansandbifocals.com. And we talk a lot about different things in this interview, about her adoption story, about being the oldest mom of the youngest kids and adoption showers and uh, all sorts of cool stuff. So let's just get into the interview right now with Jill Robbins. All right. Jill Robbins is our guest today. She is a blogger, a travel expert, a photographer, a humorist, and most importantly, a mom. Jill and her husband have three kids through birth and adoption, and her blog is called Ripped Jeans and Bifocals, which she says is a play on words to mean the oldest mom with the youngest kid, which according to her is 99.99% of the time. And her daughter was born in 1992, and they adopted their boys from China in 2012 and 2013 at the ages of two and three. So her boys are only four months apart, and she started blogging in 2014 to share her stories of adoption and she, what she calls a general state of chaos called parenting. So welcome to the show, Jill. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing excellent. Doing excellent. Thank you for joining me. I love your blog. Uh, oh, thank I've, you. I've seen it for, I don't know how many, the last couple of years. So I'm thrilled to have you on uh, finally. Oh, thanks and for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you give a great perspective on, uh, like you say, being an oldest mom with the youngest kid. So we <laughs> certainly want to want to discuss that and talk about that. And you've written a lot of cool blog posts over the years as well. So we'll, we'll get into all that as well. But uh, I wanted to just uh, really focus on your story a little bit at first. and Because on your blog, you said, I've been exposed to adoption all my life and my brother is adopted and so are my three, three of my cousins. And so growing up, adoption was just something I accepted as part of how babies come into the family. So how did you guys decide how and why, I guess, did you decide to adopt? And did that exposure to adoption affect your decision to adopt? I think, you know, having, having the exposure to adoption impacted my decision in that, you know, our, my husband's and my decision and that it didn't take um, a long time to get there just because it, it was just so normal. But we had uh, decided to adopt primarily because we couldn't have biological kids of our own. I have one bio daughter, uh, but when it came time to you know, talk about having kids, I, I could no longer have kids and, uh, you know, it would be adoption or, you know, or, or not having 
uh, kids with my husband. So that was how we came to the uh, adoption conversation initially. Yeah. And I guess why China, I'm sure you've, you kind of probably <laughs> rolled over all of that. And back in 2012 and 13, I think that the decision was probably a little bit different to make uh, as of now, as, as far as adopting internationally, especially from China. I'm sure I, I, I haven't kept up, you know, too much with what the current procedures are, especially, you know, in, in these pandemic times, how, how that's all being impacted. But uh, we decided on China because it seemed like the most easier, the most easiest, the easiest and most stable uh, platform for us at the time. Uh, we were um, U.S. citizens uh, with two different states of residency and property owned in neither of those states. So I was a resident of Texas. My husband was a resident of Michigan. We owned property together in Illinois and we lived together in the United Kingdom. So uh, <laughs> yeah, if, uh, that's wow. probably hard to follow. So um, that's where we lived when we decided that we you know, wanted to have kids together. So uh, domestic adoption was was out for us for a few different reasons. And I, kn- I know people, you know, military or expats that have adopted from, from the States while living outside the States. So I'm not saying it can't be done, but it, it just wasn't a good logistical um, option for us if we would have had one designated state of residence together um, and sort of some dual ties to one state, you know, where we could have, you know, gone into the foster care system or, you know, that state's family court, it might have been different. But because of that, we looked at international um, options, which were a little bit easier for us um, because of our residency. Not to say that they were easy, but we considered China among um, a handful of other international programs. And we decided that China was the best fit for us. Uh, It was the most stable there. At that time, there wasn't a lot of ambiguity and unknowns to it. It was very methodical and very tedious, Um, you know, do steps you know, A through Y and step Z is you get your child. And how did you get to have them four months apart? Well, we uh, adopted our son, Zach, and he was um, 17 months. He had just turned 17 Mm. months when we started the process to adopt him. And then when we uh, actually met him for the first time and completed the adoption, he was, he had just had his second birthday. So we brought him home. So we had you know, the, these, this, you know, this like great life, you know, two parents, uh, two doting parents, one two-year-old and, um, you know, everything had gone pretty smoothly. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if he had a brother or a sister? <laughs> so we started looking at doing um, a second adoption, like back to back. Part of the reason we chose to do it so soon is because we could use uh, we could reuse some of our adoption dossier. So we brought Zach home in August, and we brought his brother home the the following August, and we made the decision to go forward with the second adoption in uh, January. So a lot of the paperwork that we needed to use for the second adoption was 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 still valid, and the process wasn't as 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 cumbersome had. Had we not been able to, to reuse some of that paperwork, we might have waited a little bit longer. But uh, the four months, it was, we didn't deliberately set out to um, adopt another child that close in age, but we knew we wanted, you know, fairly close in age. We were 
trying not to adopt out of birth order. So we'd actually been uh, thinking that, you know, a child that was slightly younger than Zach would have would have probably, uh, you know, made the most sense according to all the adoption books I've been reading. But um, it ended up Kyle was four months older than Zach. So that's how the four months comes to play. Awesome. Yeah. And what was the biggest challenge? When I say biggest challenge, you could talk about the biggest challenge in your journey to adopt, but also your biggest challenge in after you brought them home. So maybe if you could answer both sides of that. <laughs> um, I think the biggest the biggest challenge in, in the journey to adopt, I want to say the paperwork because it seemed like it was so all encompassing hmm. when I was, you know, going going through the the wickets and preparing all the all the papers and you know you do step A and then you'd wait until you got you know check mark and you'd go on to step B and I thought that that was really hard while I was going through it but uh, looking back um, it just seems to be like a blip. And I guess you could compare it, you know, to the, use the analogy that, oh, being pregnant was so terrible, but then you forget about it, you know, after you have, have your baby. And that's like why women have more children. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I really felt like the paperwork was hard. You know, it was just hard in the moment because looking back, that part, you know, wasn't that hard. The travel wasn't that hard. I want to say the unknowns were hard, but they're, um, you know, maybe not knowing, you know, when your, you know, letter of approval or your travel invitation was going to drop and having sort of an idea of when, but not knowing exactly when. That was really hard for me in the moment while I was waiting. You know, and I think a lot of adoptive parents can identify with that stress of waiting. But looking back on it, it doesn't seem to be to be that bad uh, on either on either adoption. The paperwork was was relatively pain free. Even, even though it didn't seem like it at the time, it, it really was not that bad. Our first adoption was Zach. The hardest thing uh, with him or the biggest challenge was uh, the lack of sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was a terrible sleeper. And if I could have had any sort of do-over, I would have let the kids sleep in our bed and and just co-slept and be done with it. But my husband and I were both, you know, we, we were both, well, I was in we were both in our middle forties, forties ish. And we had, you know, this like seventies, you know, mindset. And it's just like the children will sleep in their own beds. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we, we had not, you know, embraced this, you know, like, you know, new, newer age, uh, we call it hippie parenting. And we're not, we're not doing that. We're, we're, we're doing parenting, you know, the way we were parented, right. uh, which doesn't always work. Anywho, uh, Zach was, he had come from a foster home. And he was sleeping um, in what we were able to sort of piece together some of the pieces in communication with the foster family that we did have. It was the entire family slept in one one room. So he was, uh, you know, not in a room by himself. Uh, yes. And I was like, oh, no, we're not doing that. You know, I'm going to go to Pottery Barn Kids and, you know, make this awesome room. And this two-year-old is going to go, oh, you know, I love this. And he's going to sleep by himself. And we're going to sleep in the bedroom down the hall. And everything is tied up in a nice, neat little package. And that did not work. And uh, instead of instead of recognizing what he needed, uh, you know, this is not a part of my parenting journey that I am particularly proud of. You know, I would walk him back to bed every hour and uh, lay with him until he fell asleep. So at, at some point, the lack of REM sleep caught up with me completely. And uh, that's what I remember as as being like the the worst. Yeah, that whole sleep deprivation there's i always said there's a reason they use that as a form of torture 
That is so true. That is so true. It was it was awful. I remember like having this horrible argument with my husband because he had forgotten to buy Diet Coke. <laughs> yeah, that's what lack of sleep will do for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was just so irrational. And I mean, neither one of us were we're getting the sleep that we needed to get. And uh, the baby was okay. He's a lot younger and more resilient than, you know, we were. My husband was, you know, he's like, I'm falling asleep during meetings at work. And it was just, you know, new parenting when you're in your forties is, is yeah, like way tough. different than new parenting when you're in your twenties. There's like a lot less stamina. Yeah. There's a reason a lot. <laughs> yeah, why I usually have kids in your twenties rather than your forties. I can relate to that. And I think a lot of people listening this to this can relate to that. I think a lot of people get held back from the idea of, Hey, I'm too old. I'm in my forties or even in my fifties, I should not be adopting. And they might look at this as one of the reasons like, well, see right there, uh, I can't handle not getting sleep. And what would I do? Uh, yeah, but, I would just, I, I really wish I would have, um, just embraced the, the co-sleeping a yeah. little bit earlier. Cause I think the most, if I could tell the, you know, seven years ago, me, anything, it just, it, it would be that it doesn't matter just how you get your sleep. Just everybody gets to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know in your blog, you wrote, you struggled with depression after your second adoption and you, you started writing some of your thoughts and feelings down. Then you you shared that maybe that was kind of a, like a lifeline for you and that you said your biggest lesson through those rough patches was just not to bottle things up, which you say is your superpower. So can you explain that a little bit more? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, our first adoption, it was like idyllic. I mean, the, the child was exactly, um, as we'd expected him to be, there were no surprises. There were no hitches. Everything, uh, went just about perfectly. The, the second adoption, um, you know, not, not so much. There were some medical issues that we hadn't been told about, there were some some complications with the medical issues that we did know about. Uh, we had a, a visa issue. We got stuck in um, China for, I think, almost three weeks longer than we didn't anticipated being there. We couldn't go home. We were running out of money. We, we got home and uh, we just launched into like these constant doctor appointments. You know, we had we had outside stressors. We had some tension within our family. I had a payroll issue that I wasn't getting um, part of my part of my stipend for for housing. When I you know looked at my bank account one day, I was like, oh my god, I don't have any money. And uh, <laughs> it was just uh, we had insurance issues. I mean, it was just it was a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a lot of stuff. It was not you know one thing. And I had this need. I think a lot of parents, particularly women, can maybe identify with this. Is you know I have to. I have to put it out there that I'm perfect, that I'm fine, you know, that I'm not stressed, that everything is a-okay. And then just the, the stress of, you know, just, I would go like sit in my bathroom and cry. And I mean, my, my immediate family didn't know that I was completely, you know, losing it until I, um, shared some of my writing, you know, with them because writing was the, the best way to, to sort of get it out there to where I could process it. I found like, like you mentioned that to be, um, a lifeline, but, I had tried to talk with someone about how I was feeling. You know, her response was, well, you wanted this, you know, why, why are you complaining? Mm-hmm. You wanted this, you know, then I had, I had the guilt. Well, should I be, you know, complaining or, you know, I don't even think complaining was the right word. I was sort of expressing, you know, how I felt about the situation, but you know, I, I, I got what I wanted. I should just shut up about it. That's sort of, you know, how I got what I, what I took from it, whether that was intended or not. 
And, um, you know, I just think the lack of, of, of talking to people about how I felt, even within the adoption community, you know, just really, really messed me up for a while. And then some of it was, I really think it was karma coming back to bite me in the rear end because I had heard other moms talk about, you know, depression and lack of attachment um, to their to their kids and I just things were so idyllic with Zach I was like well they're obviously doing it wrong you know or they've you know they, they're not doing it right like I am I was very sanctum mommy you know it was just it was interesting how how things came full circle yeah and you wrote a really cool blog post uh, and I'll put a link at this in the show notes but it's called the seven things I learned about adoption during the first month home and I'm going to run down the seven and I want you, okay. to, you to give me the <laughs> to give me the favorite tips and people should still go read the article because it's good. You go into detail about these, but number one is post-adoption depression is real, which is what you just were talking yes. about. Number two, I need, I needed people to treat me like a new mom. Number three is I learned who my real friends were. Number four is it doesn't matter how you arrive at parenting. Parenting is freaking hard. <laughs> I love, I love that one. <laughs> yes. I love that one. Number five is insensitive comments and nosy questions bother me way more than I expected them to. I get that too. And number six is I should have read the attachment books like you were just uh, mentioning. And finally, yeah. number seven is I am the mom. Probably one of the most important things I learned about adoption. So what are some of your, I mean, maybe you're, they're all your favorites, but what, what, what do you, what do you pull out of that article that you could just share with the folks that maybe some of your favorite tips out of that? Oh gosh. I mean, I think they all are, you know, are meaningful, <laughs> meaningful to me, but, yes. uh, and it, I, and I think it's, it's hard to trust your instincts when you don't feel like you know what you're doing. I, I think that that is, that is overarching for, you know, any sort of parenting adoption, um, you know, slash ad advice. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not the authority or the be all end all on anything. You know, I think just to trust yourself as a parent um, a, a little bit more and you have, you have some instincts and you're, you're probably not screwing it up as bad as you think you are. Um, so just, give yourself a little bit of grace. I, my friendships really changed after, after we adopted our kids. Uh, and I really didn't expect them to most of the people that we were socializing with, I mean, we were in our forties and the people we were socializing with were, were of that age as well. And they either didn't have children or their children were, were grown or, you know, there weren't a whole lot of, you know, 44 year old women running around with two year olds in, in my neighborhood. So, um, you know, I, I got sort of, you know, slowly like squeezed out of my social circle. And I mean, it's not, it is what it is. I mean, you know, I, I didn't, you know, there were, was no like Regina George Mean Girls thing, you know, going on. It's like, oh, you can't sit with us anymore. <laughs> but I don't know if you get the reference. That's like one of my favorite movies. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was just like, okay, well, you know, she, she's not going to want to go to this because, you know, she's not going to be able to get a, a child babysitter, you know, you know, two-year-olds, you know, aren't welcome at a wine bar and so on and so forth. So I just, I was sort of, sort of isolated in that way. And just then people, I formed different friendships with people, you know, that I didn't necessarily expect to, you know, be, be close to a lot of, you know, younger moms from the people I met through my kids' daycare and school. Uh, there was a coworker of my husband his wife and I got to be quite good friends. Um, and she was somebody that, you know, I, I didn't think I had had a lot in common with. And she had turned out to be, you know, somebody who was really there for me, you know, after my life flipped upside down. And I, you know, went from, you know, we were 
two empty nesters living in this great house right outside of Cambridge to um, a family of five um, in 11 months. So our, our whole world just imploded. If you're counting, the fifth person was my daughter who moved back in with us um, right before our second adoption. So just the family dynamic was just um, probably enough to, to throw anybody a little bit over the edge, or at least it makes me feel better to say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you certainly had your world turned turned upside down. And yeah, the boys crazy. are now, what, 10 years old? About. They are 10 and they are almost 10. Yeah, almost. Uh, we had a birthday in March and then we yeah. have another one in July. So they are just finishing the fourth grade. Nice. Nice. Let me just back up a little bit, I guess. So when you came home from China and you had your boys, you had, well, you wrote another great blog post called uh, why you should give an adopt the mom a baby shower or an adoption shower. And I know it's a real it's a sensitive subject. It brings a lot of, of, of feelings out uh, for you, but I, I'm glad you wrote the post because I think everybody should read it because a lot of people wonder about that, right? Should I even have a baby shower? Well, I'm just, I'm not having a biological child or, you know, do I even deserve to have a, a adoption shower? So I wanted you to kind of just explain to that, to the folks about just adoption sh showers and really what happened to you after you brought your first son home from China and then a month after you brought your s home your second son. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but I think maybe yeah, you could fill, it, in, yeah, this, it does. You could yeah, fill in the story. This, <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I'm really, really glad I wrote this post, although it is still, and how long has it been? Uh, it's 2020 and this is, these are like feelings regurgitating from circa 2013. So it might be a tiny bit unreasonable for me to, you know, still be holding a grudge is not the, the right word, the right verbiage for it, but it's still something I'm really sensitive about. Um, I wrote that post when I was um, in a super emotional state, really glad that I wrote it. And also the one that I wrote about post-adoption depression. Um, and it was at a time in my writing where I didn't censor my words and my feelings as much as I probably do now. But those two posts, you know, get hits and comments and emails like almost almost every week so they're still out there and they're you know reaching the people you know that they that they need to reach you know adoptive parents that are you know having having you know feelings about this however they are but uh, with our first adoption Zach um, our neighbors put um, balloons on our fence post and uh, they had, um, you know, brought us some some gifts, and I, I had gotten some gifts from coworkers, like a like a group gift from coworkers, and like very immediate family. Um, I, I didn't have a shower. Um, nobody talked to me about having a shower. I didn't really think that I wanted one. Um, and with the first adoption, it wasn't, it just, it wasn't that big of a deal. I, I didn't, don't think I really lamented um, not having uh, a shower in 2012 with Zach. Although about a month after we'd been home, someone in my community asked me to, I, and I don't even know if it had been a month, it, it may have been less than that. Uh, but someone in my community had asked me to uh, contribute to a meal train uh, for somebody who just had a, had a baby. It was the the spouse of my husband's boss. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but it's been a long time. So we'll just go ahead and put that out there. What the heck? But I was, uh, you know, I was like, where's my freaking casserole? You know, it's just like, it's not the same, but you know, I just, 
I, I thought it was in really, really poor taste. And I didn't, you know, you go back and you replay it in your head. And I was like, I should have, could have, would have, you know, told her, you know, hey, this you, you might not, you know, quite, quite see me in this new mom light. However, you know, I, I'm still getting like four hours of sleep and I have, you know, a freaked out two-year-old that still, you know, doesn't quite understand what happened. You know, no, I don't want to sign up for your meal train. You know, why, why didn't, why didn't I get something? Um, and that's, uh, that's probably when I started to be a little bit bitter about it. You know, it was really short lived. It was, it was a blip. I was, I was mad at this lady, you know, for, for asking. And I, I'm pretty sure that I was still on, um, on, on adoption leave or regular leave. I, I'd taken some like personal time. You know, I was just, I was mad that I was asked. I thought it was in truly poor taste. And I was just, I, I got my nose out of joint more than anything. With our second, uh, we did, we got a few more meals, but I was, I was able to, um, more articulate what I needed. You know, I had told some friends that, uh, you know, I, I would, I would appreciate this. So I, I think I probably dropped, um, <laughs> I probably just let that, you know, my anger over being asked to be on that meal tra train be the gift that, you know, kept on giving. So I probably <laughs> brought that up again, but I did get some dinners uh, brought to me, which were, you know, super appreciated. My coworkers um, and, it hadn't been that long after after Kai was home and I had just come back to work. They gave a group baby shower on on work time for for three people that were connected to our office, including like the volunteer that came in. And I, I reacted really badly to it. I was really, really upset, you know, that, that you know, I hadn't gotten a collective baby gift and I'd, I'd moved offices and the. Uh, I'd mentioned getting a baby gift from my from my office with our first adoption. My uh, boss was an adoptive parent as well, so I think you know his wife or him may have had something to do with the the group gift. But I didn't get anything for the for the second one, and not that I you know needed a gift or, or right. wanted a gift, but I think it was the, the the celebration and excitement, and you know I was trying to put my big girl pants on and have a stiff, stiff upper lip. And I was, you know, in this room with cake and punch and games and presents. And um, I completely lost my um, stuff during the, Oh, I have such great coworkers comment. And I like locked myself in my office and cried. I mean, it was just, it was so, I, I was so hurt that, you know, that my new arrival, you know, hadn't, hadn't been recognized. And there had been this uh, very, deliberate effort to celebrate these other families and and not mine yeah i mean that's really what it's about i think it's just the recognition there you know you still brought in a child to your family you know and your baby just, wasn't a newborn but that doesn't i don't i don't think that anyone um you know i don't think it was done out of malice right. or wanting to exclude me and i i hope that my actions didn't put you know a damper on anybody else's celebration but i think people just think of adoption as different or especially like you know older child adoption um you know I, I i don't know but it really you know you can argue it hurt me or it upset me more than it needed to or more than it should have but it really really stuck yeah and i think the point of your your article too is that the next time you hear somebody adopting or a friend announces that they're adopting, then consider throwing them an adoption shower, you know, just, yeah, just do it. Just do, do something to recognize that they're bringing a child into, into their family. And it's, yeah, it is a and big I, deal. I, 
I would at least ask or, you know, I mean, and things are, you know, there's all kinds of different adoptions um, and different ways to adopt. And I, I think, you know, especially with infant adoption or domestic adoption, maybe people are afraid to do the, you know, I think women usually get baby showers, you know, like during their eighth month or mm -hmm. a pregnancy or something that might be a rule. But, um, you know, that's, I think the typical time when, when you do a shower. And I think some of the trepidation with adoption is like, well, what if, you know, something goes awry with the adoption or what if the adoption doesn't happen, you know, as planned, then, then what do we do? But, you know, I, I think ignoring the family is not, not an option. I don't think people meant to, meant to do that. I don't think they usually, you know, mean to, exclude or, or hurt i just i think it's really perceived as different yeah it really is um and i think most people can at least think about asking i wouldn't say go around hey I, we need a baby shower yeah because <laughs> that's would, like yeah. a little bit awkward <laughs> <laughs> and i i you had asked me we talked about this i think it's like well, what's your advice to like yeah. a parent in this situation yeah. and it's like well you know my advice of course because i'm great at giving advice is to <laughs> ask for what you want but I mean, that's hard, right? You're not going to, you know, go up to somebody and say, uh, I want you to have a party for me. Uh, <laughs> it's just most people aren't going to be, be comfortable yeah. doing that. And I, 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 I say that I would be, you know, if I had a do-over, but that would be lying. I wouldn't, you know, even as, you know, outspoken as I can be sometimes. I mean, when it's you, it's just different. You, your, your fear of being, like, you know, rejected or, I, yeah, I but I think everybody has at least somebody in their life that is a really trusted person that you a confidant, you yes. know, somebody that you could go to and just kind of whisper like, you know, that'd be really kind of cool to have a a shower or something or a way to recognize this baby yeah. coming to our family and just kind of drop a little bit of a hint to somebody that you could really trust. And uh, you never know. You never know. I think it's worth at least letting somebody know that your feelings about it because like you said, I think. I don't think anybody has malice or just, no. You know, they just don't really, think about it. And I think part of it was, you know, that I was just, you know, overwrought and kind of, you know, ran down and emotional. I was getting up at like four o'clock in the morning to to write in my journal, you know, because that seemed to be the 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 biggest thing that that helped me. So I was definitely in, you know, sort of sort of a fragile state when when that happened and when I. When I wrote about it, but you know, I go back and I reread it, or I talk to people about it, and it's still, it's like really hard for me to to read because I'm still, you know, right back there, and I don't hold anybody any grudges, but I remember what it felt like in that moment. Do you think you would, if you had to do it over again, would you consider like throwing your own "come meet our new child" party? You know, like uh, potentially, potentially. Yeah. Um, I. I don't know if that would have worked for our family dynamic at the time, you know, just because our, our son was three and, uh, you know, we had another adult in the house. Uh, my daughter was, was, you know, helping out with his care and we were really, you know, really focused on, you know, making sure he knew who the parent and the caregivers were and, you know, not having a bunch of people, you know, crowding around him and, and hugging him because he, you know, was our, our neighbors, you know, were, were pretty present, um, you know, in our home at the time. And we just, you know, I think having, if it were an infant or, you know, an older child who clearly understood, you know, this is mama, this is daddy. I just think having a whole big crowd around might, might've been weird for him. But, sure. but as far as, you know, taking the reins on your own celebration, um, I, I think I might have done something 
something different, you know, cause I had, I had people in my circle that probably, you know, would have, would have loved to celebrate us. I just don't think they really thought about it. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, since you adopted both your boys from China, do you have any stories like good or hopefully not bad that you can share about being a transracial family? Cause I'm sure you get a little bit of that, uh, as you, you walk around in your, in your town and I'm, and no matter how big or small your town is, I mean, folks tend to make comments. So what kind of stories can you share with us? Yeah. And, and right now we live in a, we live in a small town right outside a big town and we're, we're in, we're near a military community, which always brings a lot of diversity, you know, into the community. So there, there are, you know, other, other Asians and other people of different races, but, you know, seeing these two white people walk around with two Chinese kids, I mean, whether you're going to stop and stare at us for five minutes while we eat in a restaurant and have our pancakes or whether you just kind of notice, Oh, okay, huh, that's different, you know, and passing and, and keep, keep about your, day it is something that's noticeable you do get a window into um our family dynamic right away if you're you know a white couple with white adopted kids people probably aren't gonna you know dissect or realize that about you right away with us they they realize that about us um right away we haven't had anybody make a, a weird comment in a while it seems to have abated as our kids have gotten older uh, which I'm really glad because some of the things that we got asked when our kids were younger I was just like oh my god if they could hear that you know it, I I would cringe uh, we had a, a lady ask us in the grocery store if we ate a lot of rice or no I was putting you know rice into the grocery cart she's like I imagine you eat a lot of rice you know it's just like, <laughs> how, how do you say that and I had written a like a, a humor response to that. It's just like, do you go up to, you know, people in the grocery store who look like they're Hispanic and say, I imagine you eat a lot of tacos. I mean, yeah. it's like, who, who says these yeah, things? Exactly. You don't, you don't say that stuff out loud. Every group comes with their own stereotypes. We've had, you know, people ask us, Oh, you bet your kids are really smart. They play violin, don't they? Or ping pong. And it's just like, <laughs> uh, well, we think they're smart, but, um, right, right. you know, you know no, no, no violin, no ping pong. Um, you know, things like, uh, are you going to tell them they're adopted? It's like, Hmm, you know, just silly, silly things like that. Where we are, people know us, you know, I, when we go, you know, travel to a new place, you know, sometimes we get, you know, noticed, sometimes we don't, it depends on where my friends on either coast tell me that we should have, you know, decided to move to LA or, um, or to New York city. Cause mm. you know, older parents and, you know, mixed race families are more, more, um, you know, prevalent there. I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, I think what makes us stand out most is right now in the community we're in is, is our ages, but that is what it is as well. Yeah, and and speaking of that, uh, what what is your biggest challenge or struggle with, as you say, being the oldest oldest mom with the youngest kids? Is it? Uh, I mean, you mentioned sleep, but obviously they're they're older <laughs> yeah. now. They better be sleeping better now. They, right? Yes, they are sleeping. <laughs> they are. Uh, we bought a king size bed in 2014, and the kids were both in it every night until about a year and a half, two years ago. And now they're they're just not. So you know, be careful about what you complain about because some. <laughs> Someday it will go away and you'll kind of, oh, you know, I miss that kid like sleeping right. on my feet and kicking my kidney. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's energy level, you know, a lot of it. 
sometimes feeling um, awkward with the other parents and you've just, you've got to put yourself, you know, out there and make friends or, you know, make nice with the friends of your kids' parents or the people that are, um, you know, playing, playing on their, on their sports team or whatever. For me, I've, I've found that I have to make the first move, you know, in social relationships with other parents. I mean, I think sometimes they look at me and uh, is it the grandmother or the mother? What do I say? Oh, you know, yeah. I don't. And, 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 you know, I think when it, when it comes down to it, you know, we, I probably have more in common with these millennial moms that have kids, my kids' age than I do with women my own age anymore, just because our interests are, are the same. But, um, you know, there's different, you know, lingo and different interests and different music and things. I, I, I think I've, you know, learned a lot or, you know, been more enriched by hanging out with my, my younger friends. I, I tell people it keeps me hip and cool and young. I don't <laughs> yeah, know if you or not, but that's, that's, that's my, I'm going to stick with that. Well, it uh, has to but... in some way, you know, you're, you're going to your kids' <laughs> practices and uh, whatever events that you got them in. I mean, it's got to make you feel a little bit, yeah, younger and just dealing with those kinds of things rather than hanging out and doing your own thing. Your life is focused more on them, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so. yeah. And I, um, you know, at this, we, we see like our the people our age, and it's like, okay, their kids are in college and they're going, you know, on these like great kid-free trips. And we are a long way from that. Uh, but, you know, that's 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 what we choose. I mean, it's, it's still okay to be jealous when our friends go on these like fabulous vacations to Fiji. But um, I think energy level is is a lot of it. Yeah, we're we're young old parents. <laughs> yeah, we we don't really have a have a choice. Yeah, I mean that's what it is. And uh, I think uh, for anybody listening to this and they go, oh, I don't know if I could do that. I'm just I'm I feel like I'm too old. And and how can I bring in a, a new newborn or uh, even a young child into our family? And then. I'm going to be 60 something when they graduate. High don't, school. don't, don't think about that. That, you, just, you know, and I, uh, I'm sure I probably briefly number crunched, um, when we decided to adopt at the age that we did, but I don't tell myself how old I'm going to be at their college graduation or how old I'm going to be, you know, when my grandkids are born, I just, I don't tell myself that, um, you know, I'm not saying I don't plan for the future, but you know, you don't, <laughs> no, no, time is not guaranteed. So, you know, make the, make the most of what you have. It definitely, um, definitely inspires us to take care of ourselves, um, and to be as healthy as we can be. Yeah, that's a great point. All of us should be doing that, but it really it does. I feel the same way. You know, I've, I've, I have aches and pains that get more and more as the older I get. So I need to work on that. We took our kids on a, uh, what ended up being about a four mile hike last Saturday or last Friday. And, um, one of our kids, I won't name names, Kyle, but, um, (laughs) he was really, really whining towards the middle of it. I'm just so tired and my legs hurt so much. And, you know, I can't walk up this hill. And I was just like, Kyle, I am an old woman and I am like walking circles around you. You're like this <laughs> young kid who plays like, you know, four different sports and you probably got 10 hours of sleep last night. So I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and he picked up his little pace after that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. Anything else you could think of that would be a good tip or uh, inspiration or an, an encouragement to give to folks that may be starting the adoption process or thinking about adoption, even if you're a little bit quote unquote older. 
I would definitely find your find your tribe, find people that are going to be supportive of your, of your adoption. When we first announced our intent to adopt, uh, I think we were like 45 and 48 or something like that. We were, well, I was very surprised that, you know, the reaction was a lot more, are you crazy? Then, oh my gosh, that's so great. Uh, so <laughs> find those people that are, that are going to support you and forge those relationships with them. That's, I think that's important, you know, for, for anybody that's adopting, but especially for, you know, someone that's a little bit older because your, your life decisions are going to get questioned. So find, find the people that are going to, um, you know, appreciate that. And love you, and hope the rest of uh, the rest of your circle will come around because they probably will. But I think having that support and validation, and making a very intentional decision to surround yourself with that, is is really important. And and in this age of social media, however you're adopting, you're probably going to be connected to other parents in some way on social media that are on the journey with you. You know, I've heard all kinds of snarky things about Facebook moms group. Um, That's a thing right now. It's a different parenting in this age of social media. Adoption just sort of adds to that. I would say, you know, use those sources of support and information judiciously. Keep your eyes on your own paper. Somebody else's situation you know, isn't, isn't going to be, be what yours is. So uh, I was, I'd be very balanced about it, but definitely find those avenues for support and, uh, you know, exercise and take, take good care of yourself. Absolutely. I think that would be my advice. Yeah, that's great stuff. And, and the bottom line is you can do it. I mean, if we can do it, you, you can do it. <laughs> you can, you can, you can do it. Uh, you can do it if you want to do it. If you, if you, if you truly want to be the parent, if you, if you have room in your, you know, heart and your family for a child, um, you know, I think, um, yeah, there's going to be obstacles, whether you think you're too old or you don't make enough money or you don't have enough space in your house. I think you can find a way to get to yes. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. Absolutely. I agree with you. Before we wrap up here, uh, people can find you over at your blog, which is rippedjeansandbifocals.com. Yes. Um, can you talk about, I know you don't just talk about adoption on your, on your blog. So can you, can you mention other things that you like to write about? I, I mentioned a little bit in the intro, but I want to give you a little bit of a chance to talk about other stuff you write about. Oh, thank you. My blog, when I first started, it was, um, it was, you know, 101% dedicated to adoption. Um, it's still to this day when I sit down and think about it, it surprises me that people that aren't related to me actually read it. But as my kids got a little bit older we talk less about their adoption journey. There's a lot that's already out there, like some things that we talked about, but you know, their, their feelings about it right now, um, we're, we're, you know, slower to, to put that, um, out online if at all. And it's just, it's not the, the focal focal point in our life anymore. We're sort of just a regular family. So we started shifting to writing about travel, which is something that we uh, dearly love to do. Um, and it's the thing that I, I miss most um, right now that I can't really do. Yeah, we get to record this during the uh, amazing, incredible, weird times that were or, or uh, the coronavirus yeah. times that are keeping us all separated and not traveling so i'm sure you miss that a lot and i, I know you wrote on your blog too but you love all things disney and, and you I had do. some very funny <laughs> comments about disney and uh how old were your boys that when you first took them to the disney world or disney cruise we took them uh we did a land and sea vacation which was oh. disney world plus the disney cruise uh when they were six 
Nice. Um, okay. So they've sort of grown up on Disney. We are Disney Vacation Club members, which is it's like a timeshare uh, through through Disney. So we go about every other year. Nice. That's fun. Yeah, and being it ten years fun. old, they are in the prime of their age to be. Going yeah, to it's a, it, I I do get asked a lot. You know, what's the what's the best age to take kids to Disney? Uh, and I think probably five, six, seven is is like a real sweet spot. I think younger kids and older kids can enjoy it too. But that those you know early elementary school years or you know even preschool years are are just so great because it's so magical. That's fun yeah we have not done that yet so i'm looking forward to doing that my wife's been after me to to get it scheduled but yeah <laughs> you know as much as we love disney world and my kids have never been to disneyland in california i have um i think disneyland is better it's uh the weather's better oh. it's a smaller square footage type of space um there's a little bit less to see but um the the Southern California weather, I think, is uh, pretty perfect. Yeah, it is. There's a reason why it's so expensive to live there. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> but it's a good place to visit. Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Where else can folks follow you other than your blog? You're on social media, yes? I am on social media. Um, I'm on Facebook and on Instagram at Ripped Jeans and Bifocals. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. You shared a lot of good stuff and a lot of great stories. I know uh, your st your story, especially being an older mom, is really, I think, inspirational to people. Uh -huh. And anybody listening to this should, uh, I'm sure, will come away with some hope that they can do it too. Uh, if you can do it and I can do it, it's certainly something uh, possible and shouldn't shouldn't keep them from reaching their adoption dreams and becoming a mom no, and a dad i'm so it's like my husband and i you know sometimes we get like really reflective you know we tell each other this is like the best decision we ever made <laughs> yeah yeah when, especially when your boys are, are behaving well right <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> No, yes, that's just true. When they're asleep. I say that because I have the exact same moments. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. You're, you're very funny. You have a, a, a great blog, and I appreciate you coming on and sharing your, your story and your thoughts for this. Thanks, Jim. All right. Really cool interview with Jill today. She is an awesome person, and I appreciate her coming on and sharing her story and uh, really, you know, some vulnerabilities, some sensitivities to, to her story too, which is just, it's, it's cool to hear because, you know, I think a lot of us are dealing with that or a lot of us could deal with that. So I think it's helpful to hear somebody's story um, who, who deals with some depression and other things, uh, attachment issues and being an older mom with younger kids. So I think that hopefully gives you some help uh, if you've not started your adoption journey yet, or if you have, this will also give you some inspiration as you go on your adoption journey and raise your kids in this world and, uh, and bring new kids into your family. You can find all the highlights and links that we talked about today on the today's show at infantadoptionguide.com. And while you're there, I got some free uh, stuff for you. If you give me your name and email address, I promise not to send you any junk. I'm going to send you all good stuff about adoption, including my four free adoption guides help you save time, money, and stress along the way. And you can email me directly too from my website as too. So that's pretty cool. Go to my about me page. You can learn more about me and my story. So I appreciate you listening and you are in my prayers as you go on the adoption journey to build your family through infant adoption. So God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to my dad.